I haven't even pointed this out yet. I've had this for a little while. Uh, you asked what this was. So if anybody's watching on TV or on the app, this is a piece of the floor from the old Cowan Spectrum Arena in Moscow where Idaho used to play their basketball games. They, of course, have this new unbelievable arena. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's like hard to even fathom that this is the arena that's in Moscow, Idaho. Really? I mean, it's a $67 million basketball arena. Wow. You're walking around, you're like, it's, it's crazy. It just shows you that if you have people that are interested... You can you can build some pretty cool stuff. Anyways, uh, I was in Moscow a couple weeks in a row covering the, the Grizz game there and the Cat game there, and uh, Idaho Athletics gave that to me just as a thank you for coming over and covering them. So Look at you. I thought yeah. it was cool. I don't nice know. Nice thank you gift. Yeah, right. <clears throat> I know there's probably a lot of people watching on TV saying, why the heck do you have Vandal stickers on your Montana uh, show? You know, we're here to cover them all. I'm just, I appreciate the history of it all. Uh, ton to get to with you today. We've been exchanging uh, articles via text quite a bit lately. And uh, there, several of these have have a rather, I don't even know what to say, depressing tone to them, uh, certainly. But uh, that's what we do best is uh, analyze all this. Uh, but l- I want to start, the last night I was uh, sitting at the um, coaches show down there at Finn, Bobby Houck was uh, having his weekly coaches show. Yep. And on the TV is Wednesday night Maction. And it was just a, a thrilling game between um, Akron and Miami of Ohio. So now I'm picking up on Maction. Yeah, yeah. You texted me that yeah, yeah, term. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what Maction is. So it's the Mac <laughs> Conference the Action. Ma- yeah, Mac Conference. Live on Wednesday night. Action. It's on Wednesday, okay. Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. And I was thinking to myself, there, there's actually like a, a a pretty strong marketing analysis here um, when it comes to sort of the exposure that this is providing for your universities. And also just we battle with this all the time in, in our industry and in marketing and stuff too, just the, the art of messaging, right? Yeah. On one hand, this game is on and it's the only football game that's yep. on. And so it's on in bars all across the, the country and... So there I was watching this, just sort of not directly, but just looking at it because it's right on in front of sure. me. Whenever Coach Al calls it talking, I'm just looking at it. Okay. So I'm thinking about Akron and Miami of Ohio and thinking about how they're not Ohio State, but here they are and they're on TV. I think that's good. It's a win. But it's like it's like a commercial without any messaging to it. You're yeah. getting your name out there, but are you actually telling people any part of your story? Like how many people are actually watching this game Engaged with the sound on and hearing the stories of the players. And then you watch the level of football, too, and it's like, good athletes, but there's no real discernible style or sure. identity. Yep. I don't know. Just take me through this. All I kept thinking was, this is this is so irrelevant to me compared to like the level of football we cover, even though it's a quote-unquote lower level. Because when you're watching the games we've been covering lately, they're, they're top 10 teams. They're vying for playoff. Seeds, you know, they're real national championship yep. contenders. All I kept thinking was, what are these guys playing for? Right sure, here? I mean, the, the, well, the first order of business in a, in a game like that is brand awareness, right? And so you take, yes. the, you, you say yes to the national TV game. The MAC conference is yes to that deal to get its brand out there to get more people just simply aware of it, right? And so. Awareness is good. Like we're we're talking about it, so it, it it broke through the noise and got on your radar screen. Now, second question or the second order of um, 
operation is to try to then tell some sort of story to create associations with the brand. And you're saying that this game was so ordinary that it was devoid of any sort of content value. Like, I don't learn anything about Miami. I don't learn anything about Akron other than they exist and they apparently have football teams. Right. Um, on the flip side, I mean, if the teams were good or if there were some unique experiences happening with the content, that would be an opportunity to, to do that. Right. You also got to think about who's the audience. So there's the general brand yeah. awareness audience, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Football game's on Wednesday yes. night. It's just on by default. So you get some awareness. Oh, yeah. These two universities. I should take a look at that. Those people look like they're having fun. Um on the flip side, like part of the audience is students they're trying to recruit. And, you know, if you can say, hey, we can put you on national television, you know, that's, that's compelling to a high school student when he or she is trying to decide what school to go to. So I think there is, it's, it's, it might not be great as far as marketing outcomes, but it's something, right. if the finances are right, we can get into that side of it. If the finances are right, you probably say yes. Yeah, it, it's so interesting, too, because, again, there, there's certainly people that are watching this with the volume on, but there's a variety of people that are watching with the volume off. But there's yeah. so much of just circumstance that goes into, like, the branding of events like that. Yeah, If people are scrolling through a, a late November, or early December game that's in Montana, you're automatically going to be drawn to just a couple factors. How many people are in the stands and how cold and snowy it is. Right. You know... Just, just the simplest thing, the, the sideline reporter doing snow angels like they were at Bobcat Stadium last year. You know, we see this in, in the Grizz Stadium a lot, too. Just people being so cold, and the announcer's talking about how cold they are, and everybody's wearing full winter gear. Even that just makes it a little bit more compelling, I guess. Yeah, I, I think there is, and this can transition into some of the other issues we have planned to talk about. I think there's an oversupply problem. Yeah. Right. And part of that's a consequence of the cable bundle. And then the cable bundle retracts, and there's just um, too many games on and too many places to put them. There's just too much inventory in the system. And so that when that inventory is not super compelling, it kind of, it, it you know, it's like, inventory shopping around for viewers and that, that's not necessarily the way you want to design a system now layer on top of that the sort of rise of the betting markets right and now you've got this content that is a form of supply for the betting markets and the addictions that they're going to create so i can see that that sort of uh, new product innovation, if you will. I mean, the innovation of just getting it more widespread um, and into apps and so forth as a way to try to monetize all this content that people probably don't care all that much about. But when they have money on the line and they can game around it, then they'll care. Amazing what we're already becoming. Nuwana's now ESPN Radio. Justin Angle in studio with me, Coulter Nuwana's. It is the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications is introducing SmartBiz, the ultimate Wi-Fi solution for Missoula's small businesses with out-of-the-box dedicated networks, top-tier security, and network failover, you'll stay seamlessly connected. Just $20 a month, no contracts. Sign up at blackfootsmallbusiness.com backslash better Wi-Fi and connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. You sent me a text recently says, 
I'm starting to wonder if a useful long-term metaphor for all this realignment in college athletics is the music industry. I'll let you extrapolate. Mm. This is a very interesting theory. Well, I've just been thinking about this a lot. So what happened in, in music is the move to streaming music kind of killed the, the profit model of creating music. And you see how much how much musicians now tour and how much bands who aren't making new music are still touring. Right. And touring is where musicians make money now. Right. They no longer make money selling their music. I mean, they get fractions of cents for a stream on Spotify. Consumers are, are we're listening to music that way. We're rarely buying albums. We're buying songs or not even. We're just sort of buying subscriptions to a service. <laughs> right. It's, you know, if you got a long trip coming up where you know you're going to be offline, maybe you download some stuff, but that's not the reality for most consumers of music. And so it makes me wonder that, you know, with the decline of the cable bundle and the rise of these streaming services, is... Th those streaming platforms are proving to be not as profitable. Now, part of that is that they came to the market underpriced. There was sort of this rush to gain share, this growth model in the tech space has you know, been like growth is more important than profitability. Right. So all of a sudden you had all this spending on content, you had all this spending on trying to acquire customers. And then as we've seen in the decline of those stocks over the last six, seven months, like people are realizing, whoa, you know, these, model, these business models don't really pan out. And so I'm starting to wonder, like, you know, as people cut the cord, as fewer people are cable subscribers, will that have similar effects on the sort of streaming the streaming profitability for sporting events? Hmm. Will the revenue model or the profit model now be centered more around the live events? Now, live events are a little bit different. Like, you, you, if you're going to go see Taylor Swift, you're probably going to go to one show. There's probably not many people that can afford a whole season of her shows or <laughs> totally. a whole tour. That's a small sliver. Whereas in sports, we have so many games that you, if, if you're building your profit model on the live event, you're going to have to get repeat customers. That's sometimes difficult to do, although the Grizz do it with their season ticket holders. So it just makes me think, like, where... Where's the money coming from? There's declining money in the system right now with mm -hmm. streaming, right? And, and and how does that play out? I mean, we're seeing these TV deals go up and up and up, but the, the streaming side of the business isn't as profitable. So, you know, where's this going to land? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's fascinating because so much of the streaming exists because of the, the sort of cultural move toward that being our, our primary way of consuming. Yeah, we got sick of paying for stuff we didn't want. Right. Right. And the industry yes. told us, hey, you don't have to pay for stuff you want. Just buy this channel and stream it directly. And that felt like a good thing. And then they were subsidizing it. They were giving it to us to uh, for giving it to us for a lower price than it cost them to produce all the content. And much like a lot of journalism, we kind of get used to that. And yes. now when the prices go up, it's like, hey, wait a second. Um, Maybe with all these subscriptions individually priced at their, you know, at their whatever their market price is, that adds up into more money that I'm spending on content than I was with a cable bundle. Right. Maybe I want to go back to that cable bundle. And because then, okay, we, we all decided we didn't want to pay for stuff that we weren't using. Now this is a way to directly target the people that are uh, fanatical about certain sure. teams or schools or yep. whatever. But then I also think that it, it pigeonholes 
for, for example, as somebody now that covers the Big Sky Conference for a living, it's a great resource for me to have ESPN Plus to be able to stream any and all of the games. And I can watch yeah. whatever just to get some more knowledge. Like, for example, the other day during my lunch break, I watched the first half of Portland State, Eastern Washington for two weeks ago sure. because the Grizz play Portland State, the Cats play Eastern Washington. Just learn a little bit about those teams. Why not watch them together? But the amount that impacts how much other college football I watch is tremendous. So it's like stealing from Peter to pay Paul, right? Well, and, and, and a piece of this, too, is like you might think that designing a product to go after a, a, a white-hot segment of customers mm-hmm. you know, that will consume all that you have to offer. I mean, that, that in, some, in some markets, that's a good strategy, right? But in the streaming market, what you need is more customers than consume. You, you need, it's it's like a gym membership. Sure, right? right, right. The gym doesn't make money if everybody comes. In fact, they run <laughs> out of treadmills and weights. Where right, the gym right. makes money is people that are paying that premium yes. every month and not coming. Right. Right, and so that was somewhat true in the cable bundle. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm only buying, you know, the Big Sky channel or the right, Pac-12 right, channel right. or whatever it is if I'm going to be watching those games. It's a purpose-oriented transaction, and so there's very little consumer surplus in that system. And when I mean consumer surplus, I mean additional dollars to the content creator that they can then spend on other things. Will tickets then become the main revenue source? That would have a profound implication on what schools keep and what schools move away from football and other sports was the end of your text. I yeah, think that's I mean, I, I think a lot of things have to fall into place for this to happen. And yeah. the whole, I think the gambling fa- factors, the disruption and this yep. sort of future scape that we're painting here. But yeah, if if your profitability in a sport relies on putting butts in seats, yes. um, you know, do you have the wherewithal to build a facility that is conducive to that type of experience? And can you know, can you construct an experience that you can charge a high price for? And and do you have the ability to to be profitable to make margin in that business? That's a whole different kind of business. The creation of the in person experience than the television experience. And this is this brings us back full circle to what has been the eternal debate, and that is that for forever and ever, schools have offered athletics as an enhancement of campus culture, mm-hmm. the opportunity to have sort of a, an external marketing arm that is your sports team, the front yeah. porch of your university, and a potential recruitment tool. But I look at the big sky, specifically like Eastern Washington and Portland State, for example, both of which have had... Uh, Eastern's had great success in football. Portland State has sniffed it a couple times, but also is sort of this this dog without a home, right? They don't have a home yeah. stadium, and they've been forced out of the downtown stadium in Portland. And and you see what has happened at Eastern, too. Like, they've just been going through it at a variety of different levels because they were so good, and then now they're not as good. And neither of those things have actually impacted the sustainability from a financial and business perspective, which is in turn the biggest argument that the faculty has to how much money they get from the state. Last year, their athletic department was 84% subsidized from state wow. money. That's twice as much as the Montana schools. Yep. I'm, a, I'm all for student-athlete experience, having student-athletes on campus. I do think that you know this, too, as a professor at the University of Montana. A lot of times, student-athletes are leaders in the the campus community and i think mm-hmm. that there is a, a a value to having them on campus but i could totally see if i was an eastern washington faculty member being like well why aren't we getting this amount of state money what are these guys doing you know they've gone below 500 two years in a row even when they were winning a national championship they weren't selling more than eight nine thousand tickets so what is the validity and the long-term 
future of all of this. Yeah, what's the return on investment, right? If if the purpose of collegiate athletics, and this is a big if, is to enhance that college experience, yeah. campus experience, and to sort of drive brand value for the university, um, you know, are they getting a return on that? The question, you know, if, if Eastern Washington is not performing to the standard they were before, but they're still getting that share of revenue, um, it doesn't really seem to pencil, particularly if there's programs on campus that are sort of crying poor because they, you know, the, the money's going to the athletic programs and not to the academic programs. That's a difficult trade-off. That subsidies, subsidy for athletic programs only works if it's providing a broader return for the whole university. Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Uh, the headline of the article that we were sharing yesterday the college basketball season begins with concerns about the future of the NCAA tournament. The most striking uh, line in here, how much longer can one of the most popular events in American sports remain unblemished by the legal and financial cross currents that are roiling all of other college mm. sports? What, what a line by the author, Dan Wolken. Uh, but this is something that we've been talking about a lot, and it might have seemed like a crazy doomsday scenario, but now... With the moves that they've made with the NIT, I mean, for those that didn't follow along, the NIT starting next year, forever, the NIT, if you won your conference championship in the regular season and then did not win your conference tournament, you got an automatic bid to the NIT. Yep. That's a that's a whatever for the Power 5 or Power 6, but that's a great boon and great guarantee like, if you're Eastern Washington, last year you went 16-2 and in league play, and then you lost on a buzzer beater of the conference tournament. Right. It would be a bummer if your season was over, but they get to go to the NIT, and they get to play a game. And they even, did they, I think they won a game in the NIT mm-hmm. last year. That's great for them. Montana's gone to the NIT a couple times under Coach DeCure, and you get to play, you know, Texas A&M and Nevada and these cool schools. It's great for your program. Well, now they're cutting that, and they're giving guarantees to the the. Uh, Top two teams based on net rankings in each of the six conferences. So the two things that are going to really impede and impact the future of the NCAA tournament are the uh, the net rankings for sure, and then I think that they're going to draw a line in the sand when it comes to produced revenue. And we went through this last year. There's this notion that there's a lot of upsets in the NCAA tournament still. There's really not. Of, the, of all the first-round winners last year, I think there was only two. They were outside the top 150 in revenue production. Right, and there was the one basketball. seed, the, the 16 seed that upset the one seed. Yeah. And that tends to, I think, actually, it's so salient when that, well, that was right. the first time that ever happened. Right, and right. that cr- kind of crowds out the actual numbers. Exactly, like right. That one eps- upset could make you think that there's a ton of upsets. Right, but really, there's it, it's just, it's pretty linear. Yeah. Most of the schools that are competing at any sort of level in the NCAA tournament, even if they're just an eight or a nine seed, sure. they have massive Revenue that's comparable. So that's what this article was then projecting is what happens if this happens in the NCAA tournament. This is something that we've talked about extensively, and now it's being put onto national platforms and actually debated. Yeah, this, the, the, the big premise of the article that stood out to me was like, how viable is the NCAA right. as a continuing entity? I mean, right now we see all this conference realignment. We see probably the most powerful entity in, in college sports is the Southeastern Conference, right? And, and most, I don't know if you could say all of this conference realignment is tied to football, and so within that, it's like football has definitely been moving away from the NCAA as 
as a relevant exactly. entity. Exactly. Yep. Right. I mean that the the. the the playoff is not organized by the NCAA. It's independently organized and, and operated. They're they're taking all of that revenue. The NCAA is desperately holding on to this, um, uh, the, the college basketball tournament. Yes, this conference realignment is shaking up. I mean, there's there's decent correlations between quality of a men's basketball team and the quality of a football team, but. College basketball is sort of an afterthought to these big football conference-based right. realignments. I mean, they ruined the best Division One basketball conference in the name of football. They got rid of the Big East, and then the Big East had to reemerge with all the non-football playing members. But, like, Syracuse isn't in the Big East anymore. How dumb is that? It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> right? And so does football split off? Right. You know, because they, they these guys are clearly in, like, a— one, the big schools don't want to continue to subsidize the small schools. Right. And so in football, you don't have to do that. And they don't want to do that in basketball, right? They don't want, like, so I, that's why in the article mentions Gonzaga is trying desperately to get into a big conference because th- th- they need to be in one of these big conferences exactly. or they're going to not be able to have access to yep. a lot of this, this, the upside. And so football being so powerful, not considering basketball, it's a smaller power concentration, a smaller number of schools that compete, can, can compete to be elite. Uh, it, it seems like we keep talking about like these fractures and forces maybe taking the NCAA to the brink and the undermining of the tournament seems like they're, the NCAA is kind of capitulating to these big schools. I don't know if that's the right strategy here for the NCAA. They have right. to provide value um, in ways they're not right now and just sort of trying to prop up the NIT doesn't seem like a great value proposition to these other schools that are, you know, probably thinking long-term, we just need to cut the NCAA out. This is where the football money gets so scary because it can just dominate the landscape at such a high level, right? I mean, forever, the only team out of the SEC that was any good at basketball was Kentucky because they were a basketball school. Well, now all these SEC teams that never were any good at basketball are now good at basketball because they have to put the money somewhere. Right. So the power just keeps getting uh, reallotted. The last uh, paragraph I'll read you from this. You might think, who cares? The NIT hasn't been relevant in ages, and the audience for a new tournament of also-rans is probably small, but this is part of a larger chess match that's going on. If this new tournament happens, it will provide the kind of competition that rarely works in the NCAA's favor. In other words, a tournament run by three conferences in cooperation with their media partners while cutting out the middleman. Guess who that is? The NCAA right out of the loop. What does that sound like? It's the basic template for the college football playoff. The NCAA and thousands of schools who don't play big-time football all share in the wealth of March Madness, but they don't see a dime from the billions generated by the college football playoff. So that's sort of the... uh, the end of the day doomsday scenario. Well, and note that it's a traditional cable TV provider, Fox Sports, right. that is trying to organize this yeah. alternative tournament. Um, you know, that's an area where you know it might prop up the cable bundle for a short period of time, or do they take it directly to streaming and not even worry about their cable partnerships? I don't know. The business angle with Justin Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Okay, a couple quick hitters for you before we get you out of here. First of all. I totally understand wanting to make your brand international, and I totally understand London. Why are we playing NFL games in Germany? Well, the <laughs> NFL's got to grow, right? They I mean, do. They, they need to grow. They're, they're 
pretty saturated, although we've talked about the Taylor Swift effect <laughs> in the United States, kind of all of a sudden a windfall of market share. But how are you going to grow into new markets? I mean, this is a way to do that. Think of the counter case, like how much... Uh, more fandom is there in the United States for European soccer now that you can stream those games anytime. So you got to educate the European customer a little bit on American style football and having a game there is a great way to do that. It draws attention and then maybe some people start streaming. Right, streaming the games, and you just gain some, uh, some foothold there and you know I think it's a difficult strategy to execute as far as like trucking a team all the way, or not even trucking, flying a team all the way over there and the the toll it takes on the players and the coaches and all of that. But it's got, I think it's got useful, you know, uh, market building, market penetration effects. It uh, it also gets you here stateside for people to start watching football. At 9.30 in the morning, East Coast time, and 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's true, too. You can own more of Sunday, I suppose. <laughs> Just what they need, more. Make me watch football from 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. And you'd probably rather watch a game than start watching people talk about the game. That's so true. It makes some sense. It's totally true. Okay, last one. The, uh, the fiercest rivalry in the West. Montana State at Montana next Saturday in football. Mm. Uh, what, if any, do you think is on the line here in terms of just brand awareness or I guess market sharing? I mean, how much do you think the football impact just impacts campuses in general with these two schools? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the the University of Montana has been on a bit of an institutional upswing, right? Like the narrative is starting yeah. to emerge. Is I like texted you, the, the new commercials are great. The commercials that they're playing on the streaming and stuff, they're very good. I, I'm very impressed. The good job, President Bodner. is compelling. The brand is portrayed in, in a way that is consistent with the sort of the, the promise that we're trying to make. And the production values are high. Yep. And I think it, it, it's compelling. It tells a compelling story like, hey, that place looks interesting. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of it. And so the football experience is a big part of that sales pitch. And I think the thing, you know, the the Cat-Grizz game is one thing. And there's been there's been uncertainty in the outcomes there over the last few years. It's kind of sure. going back and forth, yep. right? And Montana State has had the upper hand in the playoff runs. Yep. So I think it's you know, how this plays out will depend not only on the game, but how far each team goes in the playoffs. And wouldn't it be interesting to see them go head-to-head in the playoffs as well? Totally a scenario that could play out. It totally could play out. So I think there is a lot riding on on this edition. And, you know, people are going to create whatever stories they can from the outcome. But, um, yeah, I think people are paying attention at a time when there's a spotlight on both universities and they can kind of – they're more – they're competing for mindshare in a way they haven't in, in recent years. Yeah, we'd love to do like an in-depth study on the winner of the game of the football game and how much it impacts in-state students and where they choose to go to school. I think there's that's just a part of it. Yeah. It's a part of campus-wide momentum, but it certainly I think it does play a little bit of a hand in it. So we'll see. I think it's a but at the end of the day, I think it's a great display and showcase for Montana, and that's why I think it's great because both these teams are good this year. They're mm-hmm. really good. It, win, lose, or draw, both of them are making the playoffs. So yeah. I think that's I think that's good for the state in general and maybe is good for luring out-of-state students to either of the schools. Let's just hope it's a good game. I think it will be a great game.